If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. China, or China, if we want to talk like Donald Trump. <laughs> We have a special now. It's time to talk about it. It's time to talk about our number one geopolitical foe. Russia's all over the news all the time, and Russia's significant and a big nuclear power. I'm not dismissing that. Russia's economy is less than Texas's economy. You know that? China, on the other hand, China, theirs is massive, roughly equal to ours. They are a major, major problem for us. But let's let's do a little history rewind before we get to where we are. And we have a jam-packed show for you. All right, just jam-packed. We have China experts on all over the place. But remember this: China actually has a really, really, really amazing history prior to all that communist filth. They were all these different dynasties, Ming Dynasty, all, the, all these different dynasties, all these different monarchs in, in China's history. We're talking thousands of years of just all kinds of fascinating things happen. But eventually, you know how we've talked a lot about how I think there's going to be a turning in the world? Eventually, China went through this turning where the old monarchies were simply rotted and broken and corrupt. That, that doesn't sound familiar, by the way. Anyway, they were broken and rotten and, cor- and corrupt, had all these rebellions internally, eventually got attacked externally from countries like Britain with the Opium Wars. That's a long way to say 
China eventually lost its monarchs, got rid of its monarchs. They were ruled by warlords, really. And that, from that, sprouted up the communists and the nationalists. Chiang Kai-shek is a man who ran the nationalists. He wanted a nationalist government for China. We, this is going to come into play for what we're talking about here, we were backing Chiang Kai-shek. Why? Because on the other side, it was the dirty, filthy communists, guys like Mao. Mao wasn't actually in charge of the communists in the beginning. He eventually took over. But those were the competing factions, and they were killing each other, the nationalists and the communists. And we're sending Chiang Kai-shek all kinds of guns and munitions and trying to make sure the communists don't take over China. The communists won. World War II came about, the dirty communists told the nationalists, hey, let's call a truce while we fight the Japanese who were invading. And then the communists brilliantly sat back and let the nationalists fight the Japanese. And then once the nationalists were all beat up, Japan lost the war, communists go fight the beaten up nationalists and run them off to Taiwan. The nationalists lost, they escaped Taiwan. Now Mao's sitting there in China. His communists have taken over the country of China. They're looking across that strait at their enemies, the nationalists, and they're looking at them in Taiwan. And Mao's saying, dang, I'm going to go get them. I'm going to go finish them off. America said, no, you're not. Remember, at this point in time, we had by far the largest, most powerful navy in the world. And we simply told Mao, no, you're not. Go ahead and stay on the shore. Chiang Kai-shek and the nationalists are going to stay in Taiwan safe from you. Now, I told you all that because I wanted you to understand the depth of China's hatred and resentment for us. There's a history there. We have a history together. This is so much more than just some political rhetoric between this guy or that guy. China despises us for doing what they view as meddling in their affairs. Remember, they were so angry about all that, they sent hundreds of thousands of Chinese soldiers to kill our Marines in Korea, just not very, much, not, not very much later than all this. That's how angry they were. Now, what are they doing here? Well, oddly, we're going to go to Russia for a great quote, because it's what China's doing to us. But it was Nikita Khrushchev who actually said the quote, We will take America without firing a shot. We do not have to invade the United States. We will bury you from within. Well, that's what's happening to us right now. I mean, look no further than COVID. You remember what sparked the insane COVID lockdowns that destroyed our economy? All that inflation, all that stuff you're feeling right now was all the fault of the lockdowns. But what, what sparked the lockdowns? It wasn't COVID, actually. China, they won ceased air travel within their own country. They stopped air travel, but they allowed air travel to the United States. So they sent us the virus on purpose. And then China started putting out these propaganda videos. We played them for you before on the show. People getting COVID and they're just falling over dead in the middle of the streets, right? Which we know that's not what COVID does now. That, you remember people like Dr. Burke said they watched those videos and that's what scared them into these lockdowns. That's what they used to walk into Donald Trump's office and tell him, hey, you better lock down America. 15 days to slow the spread. China did that to us on purpose. And after China got done doing that to us on purpose, 
Here we are two years later, trillions lost, the world's economy in shambles, however many lives lost, however you want to add that up. And what has the world done? What have we done to punish China for such a thing? Nothing. Joe Biden got into office and he promptly banned the word China virus so as we don't offend the Chinese people. But it's way worse than that, you see. How many people do you know, we'll talk to Natalie Winters about this later in the show, but how many people do you know use TikTok, the social media app? Maybe you use it yourself? You understand that's a Chinese spyware, right? You understand that every single time you're sitting there on TikTok, they're collecting your data, studying you, studying what you watch, studying America as a whole. And not only that, they're open about all of this. How much control do these people have in our society? How infiltrated are they here? How much power do they have? Well, you remember John Cena made some crappy Fast and the Furious movie, and all he did was acknowledge the existence of Taiwan. Old China slapped him on the rear end, and John Cena couldn't run out there speaking Mandarin fast enough, saying sorry. How unbelievably embarrassing that is. But look, that's how entrenched they are. They have lobbyists all throughout our government. Do I even need to mention all the Hunter Biden stuff, hitching rides with his father over to China, cutting big deals? And remember, Hunter Biden is a lifelong loser. This is not somebody with some qualifications where you'd want to just invest with him. They invested with him so they could have their hooks in Joe Biden. Do they have their hooks on Joe Biden? Oh, I don't know. Watch this montage and you tell me. We want to see China rise. China is going to eat our lunch. Come on, man. China is not our problem. A rising China can be a significant asset for the region and the world. We talk about China as our competitor. We should be helping. We can help them with some of their problems. They're not bad folks, folks. But guess what? They're not a they're, they're not, not they're competition for us. China is not a problem. The idea that China is going to eat our lunch is bizarre. And so what are we what are we worried about? What a beautiful history we wrote together. Oh, they're not going to eat our lunch. No, 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 not at all. What are we currently doing? Well, we're canceling missile tests so we don't offend them. Which is why a long-planned Minuteman 3 ICBM test scheduled for this week has been rescheduled for the near future. As China engages in destabilizing military exercises around Taiwan, the United States is demonstrating instead the behavior of a responsible nuclear power by reducing the risks of miscalculation and misperception. Responsible. Yes, China definitely respects that. That's probably why they're buying up farmland near military bases within our borders, and we do absolutely nothing about it. Oh, wait, wait, wait. That's actually not fair. That's not fair. I said we did nothing about it. That's not true at all. We have the Speaker of the House going up, calling them free. 
We still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There was nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't but, take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, a little bit. democracy, yeah. courageous people, and, and it, it's just... I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interests who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. Yeah. They're here. They're lobbying us hard. They're buying up land here. They control our entertainers. They very likely control the president of the United States of America. Not good, right? Nah, not good at all. All right. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Jack Posobiec knows a lot about all this, all these military exercises and things. What's going on, China, Taiwan? Should you even care? We'll talk to Jack about it next. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's the commitment we made. We have said that we do not support Taiwan independence, and we have said that we expect cross-strait differences to be resolved by peaceful means. I'm so confused. Joining me now, my friend Jack Posobiec, host of the Human Events Daily Podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Jack, I'm so lost. What is our stance on Taiwan? Are, are we, do we believe it's a country? Do we believe it's not a country? Do we, where do we stand here? So, so Jesse, you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that it's hard to understand what our stance is, and it's, it's quite similar. This is an example of do as we say, not as we do. You know, believe what we say, not what we're doing. To look, judge us by our words, not by our actions. Very, very simple what's going on here. The deal has been made. The deal has essentially been made that the that the United States of America will not militarily defend Taiwan. However, they can't say that because if they were to admit it, then it would ruin all of U.S. credibility in every single negotiation we do. Not to mention, of course, everything that's going on with Ukraine and Russia right now. But you can see very clearly from the actions of this administration and the words, remember, not what Biden mutters and mumbles through at his press conferences, but the words of the people actually running the Biden administration from the White House. They're there telling you with their own lips that the United States doesn't support the independence of Taiwan, that the United States essentially will not be there for them. And so what we're seeing right now, currently, the island of, as, as we speak, the island of Taiwan is blockaded by the Chinese Navy, right? People's Liberation Army Navy, and ballistic missiles have been fired across that island five times with 11 ballistic missiles total fired across the strait, all right? This is exactly what it would look like. The United States would be hanging back and puffing up our chest and sending aircraft carriers around, but at the end of the day, not actually doing much. Okay, uh, let's, let's game that out for me, Jack, because you're great at this stuff. So we're going to sit back and not do anything. China wants Taiwan. Let's say they want to take Taiwan. Now, from my understanding is they don't want to destroy Taiwan. Part of the reason right. they want to take it is it has so many vital things. So you can't just fill the place up with ballistic missiles, right? What's an invasion like that look like? 
Well, it, it actually does look more like a blockade. And I think usually when I've been talking about Taiwan for years now, I've always said that the blockade scenario is the most likely, your MLCOA, your most, most likely course of action. Obviously, ballistic missiles or nuclear missiles, your most dangerous course of action. But that's unlikely because remember, the situation between Taiwan and China is actually the Republic of China versus the People's Republic of China. The civil war from that ended in 1949 left, uh, they knocked the Republic of China out, but the original government of China, or as, as many would say, the legitimate government of China still resides in a form on the island of Taiwan. The communists were never able to kick them out or never able to take it over. But it was the United States that began the slow sellout of Taiwan in the 1970s under Carter when we switched diplomatic recognition. Then later in the 1980s, 1990s, we started giving most favored nation status. Then af even after Tiananmen Square, allowing them into the World Trade Organization and then sending these massive flows of Western capital into China. So when you look at the Chinese army, when you look at the Chinese Navy, just understand that's your Western dollars and your Western capital that went to finance the massive growth of their military. What would it look like? I think you're exactly correct. It would look like a blockade. And then if any of their military come out, I'm sure their submarines, what they train for is is a submarine mine warfare. They would mine the ports. They would try to mine the strait. You would get into a war of attrition that, of course, as we would see, just look at the massive size, uh, disparate size differences. If the United States isn't involved in this, then it's only a matter of time for Taiwan. Okay, only a matter of time. Can Taiwan make them feel it, though? I mean, they, they can strike back if they want to. I mean, they certainly have ability. Um, they've, got, they've got fighters. They've got bombers. They've got some missiles in their, in their implements. But at the end of the day, when you look at any type of war of attrition there between China and Taiwan, I mean, it, it, when it really comes down to it, China has the ability to choke off Taiwan and to starve them out on that island without even really firing a shot. Because if they can immediately take control of the maritime shipping routes inside the Taiwan Strait, which I've gone through when I was in the Navy, and then outside the, the, uh, the Taiwan Island itself over to the east in the East China Sea, you're talking about essentially 80 to 90% of the world's goods that go through there. And then just earlier today, we saw Apple put out a statement telling all their resuppliers, hey, make sure nothing says made in Taiwan, make sure everything says made in Taiwan, comma, China, or Taipei, comma, China. We know who the companies are going to side with because they've been siding with the CCP for 40 or 50 years at this point. And that's why I say essentially it's a fait accompli. And it's only through the credible strategic deterrence of the United States that this question has not been solved until now. But when you got a guy like Joe Biden up there, there is no strategic deterrence. So why does Putin do what he does in Ukraine? Of course, because you got the weakest administration in the history of the United States in there. And so it would be not only incumbent, it would be behoovent on Xi Jinping that if he wants Taiwan back, remember Xi Jinping is going uh, this November at the 20th Party Congress of the CCP that's gonna be held later this year, he's going for his lifetime appointment to the chairmanship. He wants to be the first lifetime chairman of the CCP since Chairman Mao. And he already got Hong Kong back. Remember, he got Hong Kong back and we did nothing. If he's able to be the one, as, as they would say it, reunifies Taiwan with the mainland, then the dissidents and the factions that are against him within the CCP would not even be able to stand a chance. They would, the rest of the party apparatchiks would be begging for him to be party leader for life. Jack, why should I care?
The, the, the average person watching right now, okay, China's going to take Taiwan. What does it mean to them? What does it mean to anybody? Why should we care? Well, we should care for two reasons, right? Number one, because that is Silicon Valley West. 65% of your high-end semiconductors are made there, right? So if you want to buy a new truck, if you want to buy a new computer, if you want to buy a new phone, guess what? Now, rather than working with Taiwan, you got to go through the CCP. They will have a choke hold, a bottleneck on all high-tech equipment that goes out not just to the United States, but to the entire world. In fact, by the way, the South Koreans even just put out a statement today saying that they would not side with the United States against China, that they would still rather side with South Korea. The country that we fought for in the Korean War just said that they would side with China, who last time I checked was part of the side that we fought against in the Korean War. So you've got that going on, trillions of dollars in trade between South Korea and mainland China right now. But also it's an issue for the United States because China represents an existential threat, the rise of the CCP does, to Americans. That's where all our foreign capital is going. Those are the ones in the driver's seat. Look, Jesse, I, I was at Davos. I got detained out there by Klaus Schwab's little henchman, put out a little, you know, put me on a list, said go uh, run me up with some nine millimeters. Got it, got frisked, hand in the front, hand in the back. Didn't even take me to dinner first. At least you do that, Jesse. But, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. so we heard Ukraine, 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 Ukraine everywhere at Davos. What word was not said at anywhere at Davos? Taiwan. Why? Because the CCP has already made the deal with the World Economic Forum, with the left, with everyone else in the West. They want this, and we are already kowtowing to them. Jack, I hate to bring up old stuff, but uh, didn't China produce a virus that uh, has bankrupted the world's economy and killed a bunch of people? No, no, come on, that's so 2020. I mean, you know, you're just living in the past. You're completely living in the past. Yes. No, look, when it, when it comes down to it, you know, I've never, you know, when you find a virus that's got a spike protein that directly affects humans in a way that no other COVID virus that we've ever been able to see can hit fit those ACE2 receptors, right? And again, this was the exact gain of function experiment that was being done at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And then suddenly we've got this thing that spills out into the human population, conveniently located right next to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. But we're told, you know, it's just a wet market and all of this. Look, at the end of the day, if we had a serious government, Jesse, we would be demanding trillions of dollars, right, in compensation for everything that the CCP put us through, whether or not they were involved in the development of that virus, they certainly were responsible for the, the spread of that virus when they shut down domestic travel, but their ambassadors were here in Washington, D.C., and even in Italy, as the bodies were piling up in, uh, in Milan and other parts of Northern Italy, they were demanding that we go and we allow those flights out. And Nancy Pelosi, of course, is running around and saying, go to Chinatown and go to the parades and have a good time and just hug people and it'll be wonderful. Jack Posobiec, Human Events Daily. Thank you, my brother. Always a pleasure, Jesse. That's not good, is it? All right, don't worry, don't worry. We're not finished here yet. We have Dean Chang coming up next. He's going to educate us a little bit more on the CCP. We hear a lot about them, the Communist Chinese Party. Who are they? What are they? We'll find out next.
Xi Jinping recently had this to say, not exactly original. You'd expect something more from, you know, the Confucian society. But anyway, quote, those who play with fire will eventually get burned. Of course, talking to Joe Biden about that. Okay, so he's threatening us. What can they do, though? Aren't you curious about that? I am. Joining me now, Dean Chang with the Heritage Foundation. You spent your career studying the Chinese military, Dean. Uh, Americans know a little about their military. They don't know anything about the Chinese military. What can they do? What can't they do? Uh, well, the Chinese military actually is a full-service organization. So they have a substantial nuclear capability, and it's growing. Uh, we have now seen, uh, over the last two years, 300 nuclear silos being built in western China. Uh, so that's going to give them a nuclear cap capacity that is going to start very quickly to approach that of us and the Russians. Uh, both of us are limited by nuclear arms control agreements. The Chinese have uh, one of the world's largest navies, and it's one of the world's newest navies. So they are building uh, aircraft carriers. They are building surface warships, uh, some of which look a lot like our Arleigh Burke-class Aegis destroyers. They're building cruisers. They're building amphibious ships, and they are expanding their naval infantry force, their version of uh, our U.S. Marine Corps. So they are uh, obtaining the ability to storm beaches, to take islands like Taiwan. They've won the world's largest air forces, and uh, included in that is not only fighters and fighter bombers uh, and bombers, but also uh, airborne early warning aircraft like our AWACS. So they are rapidly moving beyond just combat aircraft to combat support capabilities. And those capabilities are important because they're the kinds of capabilities that allow you to efficiently apply your combat power. They're building tankers. They're building a strategic bomber now. Uh, the H-20. So a uh, no other country at this point is building new strategic bombers, although we have one, the B-21, uh, on the books. Perhaps most importantly um, is that they are building a space and cyber force. We have seen the Chinese test uh, anti-satellite capabilities, and they're, they're expanding. We've seen them uh, hacking all sorts of places, uh, everyone from Coca-Cola to the U.S. government uh, to the Office of Personnel Management. Uh, and a lot of that is being done by the Chinese military, even a lot of the commercial espionage. Uh, less talked about is Chinese logistics, Chinese training. These are all the softer parts, but that allow a military to actually use its equipment efficiently, use its equipment well. It's one of the things that differentiates, I think, the Chinese from, say, some of the Arab militaries of the 1960s and 70s. They had lots of modern equipment, but hadn't trained well on them. Okay, Dean, that's all sounded pretty horrific. Let's focus on nuclear here quickly. Does China have the ability, as we do, to deliver nuclear weapons in multiple different ways, hit really anywhere on the planet if they want to? Are they there? Are they where we are, where Russia is? They don't have as many nuclear weapons, we think, as we and the Russians do at this point. Uh, they don't have quite as many ICBMs, um, but they are building them, and they are building quite a few of them. They're building road mobile ones, uh, the DF-41. They're building ones that will go into silos. They're building nuclear-powered submarines that will carry ballistic missiles. Uh, they're building about five of those. More recently, they have tested now a um, weapon that would go into orbit. We and the Russians both looked at this in the 1960s. We both agreed that was so destabilizing we wouldn't develop that capability. Because if you develop something like that, you have to start assuming that every satellite that China puts up there could be carrying a nuclear warhead. The Chinese understand that, 
they nonetheless tested something like this recently. Um, it's uh, suggesting that maybe they don't think about nuclear stability the same way we and the Russians do. Okay, Dean, you, you're, you're talking about bombers, aircraft carriers, nuclear weapons. These things are all big and scary, but they're also very expensive. I understand China is a gigantic economy, but man, that's a really expensive military you just described for a country that's still locking itself down. How do they have the money for this? So part of this is that the Chinese economy is not like ours. Uh, we have a uh, mostly capitalist economy. Um, so at the end of the day, Lockheed Martin, Boeing, those companies really do have to show a profit. Uh, otherwise, they go out of business. China's military industrial complex is largely dominated by state-owned enterprises. These are companies that literally have access to China's banking system, also run by the government, so that if they don't um, show a profit, they basically get money from the central system to make payroll. Uh, that allows them to do experimenting with R&D. That allows them to produce stuff that isn't necessarily commercially viable. Um, it allows them to pursue multiple projects, some of which may fizzle out. Um, not having a profit motive, it means it's a lot less efficient. It means it's potentially a lot more corrupt. But it also means that, you know, when the government says so, they'll make tanks, aircraft carriers, etc. Okay, it's less efficient, it's more corrupt, but government-controlled makes it sound to me like the quality may not be there, but I don't want to undersell them. What is the quality of all these? It's one thing to put a big aircraft carrier in the water, it's another to have it be as modern and good as ours. Uh, there are part of the answers we don't know. The Chinese haven't fought a war since 1979, so we don't really have a good sense of the quality of the Chinese military. Uh, what we do know is that uh, their military equipment varies. Um, some of their foreign exports have been denounced by the customers, who basically said this is terrible stuff. On the other hand, China also manufactures UAVs and exports them, uh, often to countries that we won't export to, like the United Arab Emirates. They seem to be fairly happy with the UAVs. So I think that uh, in general, it, it is, uh, it's got to be judged on a case-by-case basis. With regards to China's aircraft carriers, as an example, they uh, are at the moment a little smaller. They're not quite as versatile as ours are, but they are currently building one that looks a lot like uh, our last conventionally powered aircraft carriers, the John F. Kennedy um, and uh, USS America class. And those carriers uh, certainly you know, were capable of operating even without a nuclear power plant. Dean, what about their missile capability? Now, a lot, people a lot smarter than me say that that is going to be the next big conflict between major powers. Last time it was aircraft carriers. Next time it'll be missiles, long-range missiles, not just nuclear stuff. I know Russia's good. I know we're pretty good. How's China? Uh, China is, frankly, innovative. Uh, they have developed an anti-ship ballistic missile. Um, again, haven't tried it out in combat, but we think that it uh, poses a very significant threat to our aircraft carriers. No other country, none, not even the Soviets, developed an anti-ship ballistic missile. We and the Russians both developed anti-ship cruise missiles. The difference is that a ballistic missile is much faster. Uh, it could potentially carry multiple warheads. Uh, we're talking about hypersonic warheads. China is one of the world's leaders in developing hypersonic capabilities. You pair those two together, you're talking about sh carrier killers, and that's what the Chinese have been working on. Oof. Okay, Russia. 
I saw recently China, Russia, Iran, they're doing some war games together. Okay, is this just saber rattling trying to intimidate us? Are these three countries forming some new axis of evil type thing we should be laying awake at night worrying about? What's the deal? Um, I don't think you have to form an alliance for there to be coordination to make America's life miserable. So, for example, Russia just launched a spy satellite on behalf of Iran. So, supposedly, it's an Iranian satellite. It may well be a Russian satellite reflagged. The point is, Iran now has the ability to watch us move forces around in the Middle East. Uh, Iran has worked with North Korea, uh, at least with regards to missile development. So North Korea's uh, developed some pretty good missiles. North Korea has, we think, also cooperated with the Chinese in missile development. So you can see how this creates a very tangled web. The point is, whether it's Tehran, Beijing, Moscow, Pyongyang, they all agree. America is the problem. America needs to be put in its place. And all of these countries, even if they're not working together, are willing to at least coordinate with each other to put America in its place. Dean, China's adversaries, surely there are more than just us. What's, I know India's gigantic. What's that relationship like? What are India's capabilities? So India is rapidly going to become the most populous country in the world, but its economy is not nearly as developed as China's. China is the number two economy in the world. India is not. Uh, India has a lot of software developers. Uh, it's less clear how good it is on hardware. India's military industry is frankly not very good. Uh, they have tried to create an indigenous combat aircraft industry, air, uh, space industry, aircraft carriers, et cetera. Their space capabilities are, are growing, but again, not quite where China's are. Um, combat aircraft-wise, tank-wise, they're still dependent on imports. China's biggest concern, aside from the United States, is probably Japan. Japan has a large military, the self-defense forces, they're technologically sophisticated, uh, there's a long history of animosity, and of course Japan is a firm ally of the United States. So all of that adds up to, if you are in the uh, Ba'i building, the Chinese Ministry of Defense building in Beijing, Tokyo is, is one of your biggest regional concerns. Okay, well at least there's that. What about South Korea, are they helping us out? South Korea is a U.S. ally. South Korea and uh, we are clearly both worried about North Korea. Uh, the government in Seoul right now is uh, much more pro-American than the previous president was in South Korea. Um, but South Korea's main concern is North Korea, and they understand that one of the problems here is that China is the main supporter of North Korea. If they want to keep North Korea in check, they, have, they can't afford to have catastrophic relations with China. And China knows that, so China leverages this. Of course. Dean Chang, that was outstanding. I wish I could have you for an hour. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. All right. How about that for a wealth of knowledge? We'll be back. All right. Let's have a little heart-to-heart. Just, just you and me, before we bring Natalie in, let's have a heart-to-heart. -heart. I'm not judging you. No judgment here. I do all kinds of things I shouldn't do. I'm a terrible person. Do you have TikTok? Do you watch it with your kids, wife, husband? You do TikTok? I know, I know it's popular. I know it's fun. I've got family members of mine using it. You really should not have TikTok.
you really shouldn't. Trump tried to ban it for a reason. Just recently, FCC commissioner tried to get Google to drop the daggone thing from the App Store and Apple. Why shouldn't you have TikTok? Let's ask Natalie about it. Natalie Winters joins me now, an actual journalist. It's amazing those people still exist. Investigative reporter for the Great National Pulse. Natalie, why shouldn't people have TikTok? Well, there are so many reasons. And I think the first one that comes to mind is the fact that the app is so deeply tied to the Chinese Communist Party. There's obviously national security implications there. Um, But I think when you really get into the weeds about all the nefarious dangers and threats that this app poses, that's just kind of the tip of the iceberg. This app has also been used to collect biometric data on its users. They push a lot of left-wing content, even pushing pro-China content, which comes as no surprise as the app is very, very closely controlled and monitored by its Beijing-based regulators and its Beijing-based parent company, ByteDance. And I think at the end of the day, the most important thing for people to remember is that any company that's based in China, of which TikTok is a subsidiary of a company that is based in China, um, due to the, the country's national intelligence law, specifically Article 7, it stipulates that any company based in China can be requisitioned by the Chinese Communist Party to help fulfill the ends of the state. And when you read the law, they leave that intentionally very vague. So really, however the Chinese Communist Party wants to use TikTok, they can, whether that's to gather data, to push specific narratives, viewpoints, frankly, fake news, um, you name it, they can do it. So really, it, it is a kind of a, a dream for the Chinese Communist Party in terms of the ability to influence American politics. We'll get to the pushing pushing data part or pushing you know themes part here in a second i want to first get to the whole stealing data because this is a conversation i had with a friend of mine actually last week uh, he was watching something on his phone started laughing i asked he said it's a tiktok video so i of course started scolding him about having tiktok i told him they're stealing your data and he said to me so why should i care natalie why should people care Well, there's so many reasons that people should care. And I think it's interesting because the Trump administration obviously kind of launched the crusade to ban TikTok from the homes and the apps uh, and phones of millions of Americans. Um, And they cited a bunch of reports and there was a lot of independent reporting into how the app gathered not just actual activity on the app, right? What you were interested in, companies you're interested in, but even background data. But what's been really, really interesting is that since the Biden regime has taken over, there have actually been a lot of insider reports from within the company sort of validating, if not vindicating, um, the Trump era claims about the app. You've seen a lot of people who work for the app admitting that TikTok takes data um, from users in terms of other apps that they're using. And again, I think it just goes um, to the, the bigger question and really the bigger threat, which is, of course, the Chinese Communist Party. You know, people are scared that the Chinese Communist Party is trying to harvest genetic information from millions of Americans. Well, I think having access to your phone, the people you interact with, uh, your credit card information, stuff like that, um, kind of is a similar threat in terms of the invasiveness and the lack of privacy that you see. And believe me, the Chinese Communist Party, they don't respect the privacy of their own people. So I highly doubt they would do the same for Americans. All right, finally, before we switch gears here, promoting things. How do they promote things? I mean, I don't have it, so I don't know, but I assume people search out the videos they want to watch, right? So there was actually a report not too long ago that TikTok was intentionally boosting Chinese Communist Party propaganda, specifically stories and videos that were either long 
derogatory towards the leader of the Chinese Communist Party, Xi Jinping, um, and also censoring stories that were critical. So you especially saw stories about, like, for example, the Tiananmen Square massacre. But I think what's really interesting about this is it goes back to the fundamental premise of TikTok. So this app was launched after in 2018 when the founder of TikTok had actually had to shut down a previous app because the Chinese Communist Party said that he wasn't doing a good enough job regulating it to make sure that the content moderation was in line with the values of the Chinese Communist Party. So as a result, he pledged publicly that he would use in all his future apps and future business endeavors that he would promote oh. devotion to the Chinese Communist Party and, quote, promote socialist core values. So you name it, socialism, communism, this app promotes it. And that's not me paraphrasing. That's a direct quote from the app's founder itself. There you have it. That's from Natalie. All right, Natalie, we're going to switch <laughs> gears here. Grandma Vodka had a real doozy of a statement recently. Uh, here it was. We still support the one China policy. We go there to acknowledge the status quo is what our policy is. There was nothing disruptive about that. It was only about saying China is one of the freest societies in the world. Don't but, take it from me. That's from Freedom House. Let's it's talk a, strong a little democracy, bit. Yeah. Courageous people. And, and it's it just, I don't know why it is, uh, except there's some commercial interest who would like to diminish uh, the relationship. One of the freest countries in the world, a strong democracy. Natalie, I can't seem to figure Grandma Vodka out. One second, she's trying to start World War III with China. The next second, she's doing the Kamala Harris on China. Who is this woman? Well, I know you just showed me an NBC clip, but it's kind of hard to distinguish between that and some of these Chinese state-run media outlets because that's the kind of propaganda that you hear. But I think this goes to, I think, the broader idea about Nancy Pelosi's trip to China um, and why it seems that her messaging on the Chinese Communist Party is sort of all over the place. And this is because at the end of the day, you're not dealing with someone who can engage with the Chinese Communist Party in a fair and unbiased way. You're dealing with someone who has a very, very checkered history when it comes to conflicts of interest with the Chinese Communist Party, a revolving door between a lot of her staffers going to work for China. And of course, I think that the proof is in the pudding. And what I mean by that, this is someone who is arguably one of the most powerful politicians in the United States. And during her tenure, if anyone wants to argue that the Chinese Communist Party's power has been diminished in the United States, they'd be very, very, very mistaken. Nancy Pelosi has been probably one of the largest boons to the Chinese Communist Party and their growth. And that is all you need to know about where Nancy Pelosi stands on the Chinese Communist Party. They have, frankly, maybe Joe Biden or Hunter Biden would give her a run for her money, but no greater ally um, than her on this side of the sea. Natalie, come back soon. Thank you. All right, we're not done. Don't worry. Hang on. We have to talk about it. And we, we have to dig them out of here. That's the real uncomfortable truth. And we like to look at ourselves as this land of the free and land of the free and land of the free. Yeah, we are, but we only remain the land of the free if we don't allow communist subversives to take over the country. We need to dig China 
out of the United States of America. They don't get our farmland. They don't get to own our entertainers. They don't get to lobby us in Washington. And they certainly don't get to own the president of the United States of America and his family. Remember, they're not hiding their intentions. China has published papers announcing their intention to knock us out, to knock us off number one in the world stage. They, they admit it. I don't know why we choose to ignore it. We have to get a lot more aggressive getting China out of here and keeping them in check. All right? We'll do it again. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. 